And on this, what promises to be warm summer-like late September day on a Wednesday, we're at the Brickyard Crossing at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. As a matter of fact, pretty good view of the sunrise coming up over to our right-hand side. Then to our left, you can see to the Pagoda, turn two of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Here for the Pacers Foundation golf outing that gets underway officially into the swing of things, pardon the pun, in just about two and a half hours or so. But joining us now in the Payless Liquors guest line to talk about the Colts and their preparations for the Kansas City Chiefs. You know him from ESPN.com. He has been very busy this week. Stephen Holder. And, uh, Stephen, this is just going swimmingly well for the Colts so far this year, right? No issues at all. Hey, look at the bright side. It's almost basketball season, for better or worse. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, there's that. But, yeah, it's going well. It's going great. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Rose petals. And I thought they'd have a parade after Houston and Jacksonville if you ended the one-year drought or the uh, week one drought and the drought in Jacksonville. But you didn't end either of them. Um, Let's start here. And, you know, I I feel bad saying this, but I'm going to tell you that your answer cannot be the AFC South. I'm going to preface that, okay? Okay, Uh, Your biggest reason for Colts optimism right now moving forward well i actually would say this i think their best players so far have not played that well so what i would argue or poorly probably (laughs) is that i think they have more in them and and so if they get that if they can find that level that they normally play at, this is going to be a better team. I mean, I still think it's a talented team. I'm not saying they have enough talent. We, you, you never really know that, right, until, until they, the games actually start. But we know that they have talent. We've seen these guys play at a high level, the whole seven Pro Bowlers returning, all that, right? I mean, we've seen these guys play. Uh, I, I'm not seeing that level of production right now. So if they can ever get back to that and – why wouldn't they be able to at some point, right? If they're, if they're good, you don't forget how to play football. So I know it sounds, you know, sort of Pollyanna maybe. I don't know if that's the right word, but I just think, you know, if, you're good, if your good players play well, you're going to be a better team. It's really not that complicated, right? I mean, like, I think if we start seeing DeForest Buckner play like DeForest Buckner, oh, wow, all of a sudden things change, right? So that's just one example, I think. And, and that's where the Colts' hope lies. Yeah, I mean, I would argue the best player through the first two weeks has been Grover Stewart, and you wouldn't even label him as a top, you know, 10 player on this team right. entering entering the season. I, I did want to give you, give you the opportunity to – I don't know if you want to clear anything up, but I know that you had a quote in your story um, after the game on Sunday from Kenny Moore, um, and I'll let you maybe say the quote. I, I don't want to miss misspeak here, but Kenny's quote – alluded to something scheme-related. Kenny then came back on Twitter yesterday or Monday and, and, and pretty much said that he didn't say anything scheme-related. Um, care to share anything on the interaction front? Because I think if you're going to label a player that is paid to be good and has not been good early in the season, Kenny Moore would fall into that group. Yeah, it, I can recount the entire uh, exchange. It basically was a conversation about the – the Jaguars' high completion percentage, I mean, we all saw it. Uh, Trevor Lawrence completing 25 of 30 passes. And I asked him, I said, you know, what, what can you do, you know, from a scheme standpoint when, when guys, you know, when they're having that much success? Um, and he says, you know, it's scheme on scheme is the quote. 
And he says, it's a great question. Though. Why is the guy so wide open? And look, I, I think you could interpret it. It really, it, it left a lot of things open to interpretation. Now, to be clear, I didn't in the story try to interpret it. I just said, hey, here's the question. Here's what he said. And then I kind of leave it to the reader. Uh, I know that that can be, that can go a lot of different ways, right? What I, I'll tell you what I took from it, if that matters at all. What I took from it was I think they, they didn't have a solution. And whether, that's, whether that points to the coaching staff or the players, that, that's, you know, that's up to the, the reader to decide. But I also think when you say it's scheme on scheme, it means that the Jaguars had a pretty good attack and the Colts have their way of defending it and it just didn't work on Sunday. I don't think, frankly, I don't think that is even a bold statement. I think that is a reflection of what the hell we saw, <laughs> you know? So I, I get that he's probably getting some blowback from it. And I like Kenny. I have a good relationship with Kenny. I, I hope everything's fine from his perspective. I haven't heard from him, but I don't. I think what his tweet is saying, I'm I'm giving him some benefit of the doubt here. I think what he's saying is he's not questioning the coaching in this quote, and and that's a plausible explanation. So I don't know. We'll see. I'll clear it up with him when I see him. Uh, Stephen, let me give you the names. I'll give you three names, and you tell me which of these three, if if Chris Ballard and Jim Irsay and Frank Reich had a magic potion and they could sprinkle it over one player to wake that guy up and get them going, which of these three would be the most critical towards the Colts' success right now? Mo Cox, Yannick Ngakwe, and Paris Campbell. Hmm. Um, I actually think right now I might actually argue Paris Campbell. Well, at least in Sunday's game, let's put it that way, with Michael Pittman out. They just they needed a spark at wide receiver. The reason I don't mention Ngakwe is because I think it really boiled down to more of the way that the Jaguars attacked them. It, they kind of made the pass rush sort of um, obsolete. They, they couldn't get there. The Colts right now have uh, – they are fourth in terms of time to throw defensively, and what that means is – the amount of time between snap and the throw, they have the fourth lowest time uh, defensively right now, meaning the, the ball is out faster than any other team except for three other teams. So I kind of give Ngakwe a little benefit of the doubt, you know, because of that. I want to see what he does Sunday against Mahomes, who will hold the ball a lot more, right? But when it comes to when it comes to the the offense. I mean, just Matt Ryan just didn't have anywhere to go with the ball. I mean, and that's on top of being under siege because the offensive line can't get its act together, which is a whole other story. And I think one of the most, one of the most, uh, one of the biggest indictments of this team right now is this offensive line playing like complete trash, complete trash. But anyway, I'm getting off the topic. You asked me about the three players. I, I think Paris Campbell, I thought he was a guy, look, if there's ever an opportunity for him to step up and show, hey, I'm still here. I'm, I still have it. I can still do this. That was the opportunity of a lifetime. And what did he do? Basically nothing. I was really, really extremely disappointed in that. Like, uh, Stephen, is it, or, is it over for Paris Campbell? I mean, honestly, it, like it, I, I realize we're two games in, but I'm like, what are we doing here? I mean, literally, yeah. the, the the entire world is waiting to see what you can do, and here's your opportunity to go out and you literally 
are D.B. Cooper until the fourth quarter when you get an offensive pass interference on a play that wasn't even designed to you. What are we doing here? I love the D.B. Cooper reference, by the way, because that's – can we get to the bottom of that one day? Anyway. (laughs) You and I, you and I, two of the 7% of Indianapolis that know who we're talking about. They have no idea what we're talking about. Go on your HBO app and, and read and watch the documentary. I got nothing. Yeah. (laughs) We're two nerds talking about something that doesn't matter. (laughs) Anyway. uh, Yes. I mean, come on, man. Like, this is what we, we talked about this all off season. And listen, I love Paris Campbell because I, I think that it's a, it's a very relatable story, right? What he's gone through is very relatable just for anybody, right? It's like, all he wants is to just have an opportunity and to be healthy and, and all that. Right. And, and you feel for him. You really do. There's, there's a, there's a genuine, even as a reporter, I'm, I'm neutral and all that, but like, you can't, you can't help but feel for what he has been through right year after year after year major injuries. And so now he's healthy and now they really need him for the first time. <laughs> and he just he hasn't come through. So is it over? I think it will be unless, unless something changes. I mean, why would you on top of the injury concern, if he doesn't produce when he is healthy, then what are we, like you said, what are we doing? What, why would you go resign him when he's giving you nothing? So he has, now it's turned into it's not so much a, a happy, uh, hopeful story. Now it's turned into like, hey man, get it together. He's Stephen Holder with ESPN.com, and he's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Right now we are live at the Brickyard Crossing golf course for the Pacers golf outing. Um, Focus on the Colts here in this segment, kind of expanding on that Stephen Campbell related. You know, if you're going to tell me on Sunday, no Michael Pittman, no Alec Pierce. Paris Campbell's biggest contribution is an offensive pass interference penalty. Um, Jonathan Taylor has nine carries in the game. I would have said fantasy football owners, you need Naheem Hines on your football team. And yet he plays 15 snaps in that game. I thought Frank Reich's explanation on Monday, um, to be honest, I thought it was a bit lazy. I thought it was a bit head scratching. Uh, You had 50 plays in the game. How is Hines not sniffing 20? 25 and Frank's excuse of saying, well, we found out Michael Pittman and Alec Pierce weren't going to play late in the week. It's not like you haven't utilized Naheem Hines in a big role in training camp. You've talked about his expanded role. He's drilled with the wideouts. To me, it, it just seemed like such a missed opportunity considering the personnel and they totally ignored one of their frankly only playmakers on Sunday. I would have accepted the answer more, more readily if um, if if Jonathan Taylor had gotten the ball uh, with more frequency, and he did, sure. What did Jonathan sure. Taylor have? I think nine carries, right? So, so if that were the explanation, if the explanation was, well, you know, we only had fifty plays, and we wanted Taylor to get his touches, then I'd be like, all right, well, that's an actual plausible explanation. But when neither of them got the ball very much, then it's just not it's not okay. Because I mean, frankly. Those two guys, those are the two guys who, who have the most game-breaking ability in this offense right now, especially without Michael Pittman. So that's the other thing. I mean, if Michael Pittman's not out there, it's not like if you have someone else to get the ball to. So I agree. I, I, can't, I, I, can't, I can't accept it. Uh, it's not okay, and it, it is what it is. I, I had the same reaction you had. I, I, think, 
look, I do understand as a play caller to, you know, to explain to people, how does that happen? I, I actually understand how it happens. You just can't let it happen. It happens because you get caught up in the game and you have all these plays you've, you've kind of, you know, sort of laid out to run and, and you're kind of trying to get to different things in the menu of plays, you know, especially when you get desperate, right? When you're not scoring. So I, I understand how you can kind of lose track of things, but you can't lose track uh, when he is one of your biggest playmakers. If he's not even on the field, forget about getting the ball. He's not, not even on the field. Uh, I got a problem with that. I'd also like to see, I haven't tracked this yet, to be clear, but I think just the eye test tells you. I would like to see a little more of what we saw in training camp with Naheem Hines and Jonathan Taylor in the same yes, formation. Yes, yes, yes. Get back I thought that. that I thought that should have been the dominant personnel grouping on Sunday. You know, when when Pittman and Pierce first show up on in the injury report early in the week, you, you got to start thinking, hey, there's a chance they might not be there on Sunday. Certainly, you know, it's it's tough for yeah. a guy from a concussion standpoint to get back there. Not that Pierce would have some massive role anyways. And you know, all this talk in the off season about it, and you script out the first series, and Hines was impactful. That was the one one drive the whole game that actually moved across the fifty yard line. Yeah, it just uh, – I just thought from a coaching standpoint, you, you totally um, – you restricted, I thought, one of your very few areas where you could have been effective in moving the ball. No, I totally agree. I, and I think this is, this is part of the, the problem is, look, I mean, they, were, they were definitely at a disadvantage, right? There's no question they, they had some disadvantages with, with Pittman being out and, and Pierce being out. I, I get that. And I give them – I give them – or I, I, I am open-minded to that, I guess is what I'm saying. But the problem is it's not as if you had no alternatives. You did have some alternatives, and you do have two of the biggest playmakers. Look, I get, I get calls from, from media all over the country, radio programs like yours and, and markets all over the country, fantasy football shows, and all they ever want to talk about is these two running backs. <laughs> okay? That's all they ever want to talk about. And, and neither guy, I thought, touched the ball nearly enough on Sunday. And, and if, if you don't throw it to Hines, throw it to Taylor. I, I mean, you, you got to do something. I, I do not trust these receivers. Look, I was willing to give Chris Ballard some benefit of the doubt. Look, I was like everybody else. Like, hey, I don't know. We'll see. And I think that test came a lot earlier than we ever anticipated when Pittman got hurt. And the fact is, I think the verdict is in. Okay? They are what we think they are. Okay, so that being the case, you got to go somewhere else with the football. Stephen, if you were given an envelope with a definitive answer in it, would you rather know every detail of what happened with D.B. Cooper or the Zodiac? <laughs> uh, well, see, I haven't I, – I haven't – I'm not as well-versed in the Zodiac story. I mean, I know the story, but – I'm not as up to speed on the details. I don't know why I'm, I'm more well-versed than D.B. Cooper. I think I've read about it and, and seen the documentary. And so, yeah, I'm a little more on the edge of my seat on that one. Uh, but the Zodiac, now you're going to have me going down a rabbit hole on this one now, I think, on, on the basis of this question. So I, I guess the answer is I, I want D.B. Cooper. Um, and first of all, <laughs> dude, you're jumping out of an airplane over the forest in, in – the middle of Oregon. The Columbia River, right, yeah. What's the like, percentage of our listeners that get – am I just out on an island here with this? It, uh, it was I think it's your time. It was before my time. But I, really I think D.B. Cooper, Kevin, D.B. Cooper is kind of like, um, 
you know, it's like Star Trek. Like the people that are into it are like, we'll throw you down a flight of stairs over it, right? They're they're all in. <laughs> Everybody else is like, what's going on here? Uh, basically, basically, dude hijacked an airplane, had it land in an airport, and said, I want 200 grand. They brought the 200 grand on. He let a bunch of people off. They took it back up in the air. And as soon as it got back up in the air, he's like, hey, joke's on you. And he opened up the emergency chute, parachuted out of a commercial airline. They never found him, but they found some of the money like 10 years later. It sounds like some Colts fans parachuting out of airlines. That's exactly yeah. right. That's exactly right. The difference between um, D.B. Cooper and, say, Chris Ballard in the offseason is D.B. Cooper had a plan. He executed that plan. He went to it. And it worked flawlessly for him. Whereas Chris Ballard, I'm not saying he didn't have a plan, but Stephen, you know, do you think that the leash, and I know that this is going to sound almost personal. I don't mean it to be that way at all, but I'm genuinely curious your thought on this. It, it appears to me that the pendulum has kind of swung here in terms of, and I get it, fans get, get impatient when a team gets off to a slow start. And a win against Kansas City probably cures all of it. But... Does Chris Ballard's defiance towards the things that right now are truly being illuminated as weaknesses for the Colts, does his leash get shortened based on the fact that they are things that seemingly every person in Indianapolis was jumping up and down screaming about and he defiantly said didn't need to be addressed? Well, the the public sentiment, I think, is heavily impacted by that. You know, whether it changes things – between him and Jamerse, that's that's a tougher question. But but I will, and I know this is not what you asked me, but I, I do think when you're defiant about it uh, from a, a public standpoint, you know, look, the, the, all the public has is, is these interviews that we do, press conferences. Uh, they read the quotes, they hear the interviews, whatever, right? That's all they have to go by. And, you know, why don't you guys ask about this? Well, we do. And this is what he says. He says he doesn't give a damn, okay? So I don't know what else to do, right? And so they get those answers, and they don't like those answers. And then when when people's fears are realized, and they have been, uh, they have a right to be upset about that. And I understand it. I would be upset if I was emotionally invested in this, and and this is the outcome, and and I've gotten the answers that I've gotten. I'd be the same way. I get it. So, in terms of, I think the the public being open minded and giving Chris Ballard the benefit of the doubt, he has. He has, I think, lost a lot of that by virtue of how he's handled it, not only by his moves or lack thereof, but I think his his attitude toward some of those questions. So do we read into Stephen the fact that, that do we read into the fact that we did not hear from Jim Ursay in terms of, you know, after the Jacksonville game at the end of last year, and I realized it was a season ending loss, but you know, he was very outspoken. He did the video outside the jet and he, you know, he's reassuring fans. And and now, I'm not going to say radio silent because he did a few things down in Jacksonville in terms of posting a video of him interacting with fans, but Jim Irsay has yet to really come out and make any sort of bold statement about this slow start. Do we read into that in any way, shape, or form? Uh, no. The, the only thing I would read into that is, and I think this is a real thing, the only thing I'd read into that is I, I do truly believe that, that people around Jim Irsay who he generally never listens to. <laughs> but I think the people around Jim Mercy are heavily, are, are working hard, I think, to, to influence him to, to not do that, right? And occasionally he does actually heed the advice. <laughs> I think we saw, we saw a little bit of a hint of this in training camp when he was asked about the importance of the season opener. You know how he's always banging on the table to win the season opener. And, of course, they never do. 
And what did you say? He said, ah, you know, Chris and Frank and, and Pete Ward, you know, they've been on my case about, you know, you got to shut up about the season opener. It's not helping. Of course, they, they were right. <laughs> but the fact that he actually listened was, I thought, interesting because he just never does. So I, I think he understands as as much as I'm sure he has much to say. I do think he understands that it's week two and that it, it only it only complicates things if he if he goes out there right now and says uh, things that that make the natives even more restless. So they're Colts very restless. Back to, certainly, certainly. Colts back to practice later today. Again, the home opener this Sunday, one o'clock with the Kansas City Chiefs. Stephen, as always, thank you, and uh, we'll see you here in a bit. All right, guys. See you soon.